talking about that different life, and here's the basic premise, is that if you're in Christ, you're going to be different, hands down, no matter what. It's inevitable. God changes you. Somehow and in some way, when someone comes to Christ and Christ comes to them, something different starts to happen and things start to change. And part of that is the way we live. Not just how we act, but how we think, what we value, what motivates us and drives us. Now, for years, Christians have been looking at the Ten Commandments, that ancient list of rules, if I can put it that way, given to the people of Israel so many thousands of years ago, is a working guide or table of contents to what that different kind of life looks like. And today we're coming to big number seven. So here they are. You shall have no other gods before me. That's how God leads it off. And then he says, you shall not take my name in vain or do not carry the name of God carelessly or vainly. He comes into number three, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If you're a kid here today, say number four. <laughs> the stork bring you guys? Your kid is someone, come on. I mean, I swear. Like, honor your father and your mother, right? No one here wants to say that one. Well, I'm not going to ask you to say this one. If we're in that spirit today, you shall not murder is number five. Number six, you shall not commit adultery. Big number seven today, you shall not steal. All right? You shall not steal. Don't take stuff that isn't yours. That's what it comes down to. doesn't matter if it's legal or illegal in the way that you get it. If it doesn't belong to you or you're taking something dishonestly, if you're taking something unjustly, God thinks of that as stealing. So don't mug someone in a back alley. No grand theft auto. No shoplifting. Don't break into someone's house and take their stuff. Don't sneak into the garage because they leave the garage door open and no one's looking and going, hey, right? Don't do that kind of stuff, and we should be okay, all right? Cool. Ben, all you. Let me push the margins on this, all right? Because I think we all kind of have this general sense of what it means not to steal, but we've been looking at how this guy named Martin Luther has been talking about these commands and really kind of expanding our field of vision a little bit on, on how it goes broader than just what seems to meet us before the eye. Give me the next slide, would you? That looks like we had system failure here again. So, ah, there we go. We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way. I want you to underline that in your mind a little bit. Get them in any dishonest way. You can get something legally and still get it in a dishonest way. But then he pushes it further. But help to improve and protect his possessions and income. Can I ask you, do you ever think of, of this command, do not steal in that kind of way? Certainly it's like don't take things from someone that aren't mine, but do you ever think about it in terms of helping people improve and protect their possessions and income? Luther did. And I think there's something in there worth rooting out here a little bit. But before I get into some of those do's, following on the, the heels of last week, I want to talk about some of the don'ts first. 
within this. And that's where I love to run to the Westminster Catechism. It's a whole different ancient Christian document, but it has some really helpful insights that kind of pushes things in ways we don't think about. So it leads off by talking about this commandment with this basic question. It says, what sins are forbidden? Give me the slide, please. What are the sins forbidden in this command? Now, it goes on for like a page and a half. I just took an excerpt of what I tend to think is the less than obvious ones. And just like last week, I'm going to have you read this on your own today. Pop it on the screen. Did it kind of pique your mind on some that maybe you didn't really think about? Or did it expand your margins a little bit into some areas where you go, well, I never considered myself a thief. But according to this, maybe. You know, Luther, back to him, has this like phenomenal line where he goes, if everyone who were thieves in this world but didn't think about themselves as thieves were led to the gallows, the world would soon be emptied. Let me push you on a couple of things. Do you ever fill a timesheet out and nudge it to your favor? When you split something around something, do you reserve for yourself the greater portion? Do you slough off on the clock and bill it to your employer anyway? Do you borrow something and fail to return it? Do you take something on credit and not pay your bill? It's crazy when you start thinking about it and as you push deeper and deeper into it, how all of us might start to gravitate into this forbidden territory more than we might think. I think of the world today, receiving anything stolen, stolen, fraudulent dealings. Not playing a contract the way we agreed. Hopefully not oppression and extortion in this room, but maybe. punitive or frivolous lawsuits. I think nationally, internationally, unjust enclosures and depopulations, hoarding commodities to enhance a price, unlawful callings. You know what that one's getting at? The idea behind is this. When, when you feel like an opportunity before you to take on some kind of profession, some kind of vocation or job, to do something. Maybe you realize that you can open a telemarketing firm and that you can really kind of target senior citizens who don't really have many people to talk to in their life and that they'll 
stay on the phone with you and you can really start selling them things that they don't have the money to buy and take advantage of their good nature. You get the idea behind this, maybe you open a payday loan store and you charge people exorbitant prices. Maybe you're a car dealer and you've learned that you can kind of start downplaying certain issues on a car and sell a car in a certain way. Maybe you do that when you list yours on Facebook Marketplace. Have you ever sold a house and not talked about certain things about your house that you knew to be issues but you wanted to make the sale? You get what I mean? These are what this catechism would call unjust callings. It starts to expand the horizons on this stealing thing a bit. And I think like all of these commands starts to make us a little bit more aware that it's not just them who are guilty of this kind of thing. Oftentimes, I'm flirting with it right here. It's been said that this command, you shall not steal, really undergirds all the other commands as well. That when we don't honor a father and mother, we are stealing the honor and respect due to them. That when we murder someone, we are stealing their life. When we commit adultery, we are stealing someone's spouse. And when we bear false witness against a neighbor, we are actually stealing their reputation and maybe justice itself. It is a far more common sin than I wonder if any of us realize. So God says, don't do it. Let me show you a different way. Because we live in a world where we are driven by getting ahead. But if I can go back to that slide just two ago, put it on the screen from Martin Luther. It's not just what we aren't supposed to take, but how does a different way of life orchestrate itself where we live to further protect and benefit, one more, and improve our neighbor's possessions and income. How do we live different from the get-ahead-at-all-costs kind of way to going, God has called us to something else? There's this great passage I want to share with you today where Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourself treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he goes on to say something very weird. He goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, if the eye is filled with light, or if the eye is good, then the whole body is filled with light. But then it'll go on to say this, but if the eye is, and depending on your translation, it may say something like bad or unhealthy. But I'll tell you here today that underlying it all is this. If your eye is evil then your body will be plunged into darkness. If that very vessel that brings light into you is filled with darkness, how great is that darkness? Have you ever heard of the evil eye? I remember when we were in Turkey several years ago, and they were obsessed with the evil eye. You would go to towns. I remember being in Izmir. Their, 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 their symbol was actually the evil eye. Doesn't that seem weird? Did you ever grow up with grandma or dad giving you the evil eye? I remember my Italian great-grandma who used to give you the inyokyo. 
And she would just kind of stare at you like this, this curse that she was going to place upon you. It seems every culture that has some kind of interface with the Christian tradition at some point talks about this thing called the evil eye. But when Jesus talks about it, it was never about putting some hex on someone. It's never about some magical curse. An evil eye is this, greed. What is your eye attracted to? And for most people, it's stuff. Think about your own life. Where do you spend the preponderance of your day? Where do most of your dreams kind of lay? If I could get that, if I had this, if we could achieve this level of security or comfort, if I can own that, that is what Jesus calls an evil eye. And he says, don't store up for yourself treasure in that kind of way. He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus comes to each of us to give us new eyes. To say, do it differently. Change your focus and what you value in this world. Because I tell you this, if what you value is stuff, you will be inclined to push the margins and break this command in all kinds of socially acceptable and legal ways. But when your treasure is God, in his way in this world, something starts to change. And the way that we start to interact with others in this world and the wonderful things that are at the disposal for people to take it starts to change too. There's a story I love in the Bible about someone who had an evil eye and whose life was changed. Now, if any of you grew up here in a Sunday school world back in like the 70s, or the 80s, you were probably singing about this guy and his name is Zacchaeus. Isn't that a great name? Don't you wish you were named Zacchaeus, right? Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And tax collectors were hated back then because tax collectors knew how to play the margins. They knew how to round interest to their favor. They knew how to skim the top. They knew how to doctor the books. They knew how to take advantage of people in their community so they could get ahead and they were despised. And this brother named Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming. But Zacchaeus was a little guy, all right? And I think he was a little guy more than just physically. The way the story goes is he can't see over the crowd. So he climbs up into this tree to see Jesus. And as Jesus is walking by, Jesus sees him. And he stops. And you know what he says to it? Zacchaeus, get down. I want to come eat at your house today. That Jesus would notice me. That Jesus would pay attention to a guy like me. 
And he comes down and he brings Jesus over with all of his thievery tax collector friends and he throws a banquet for him. Now the rest of the people would have nothing to do with this. How could Jesus eat with a guy like that? And if you're sitting here today wondering that, how could Jesus be among people like that? Deal with people like that. Love people like that. You don't know Jesus at all. But that's okay. Come talk to me. And I'll share with you what he's really like. And I love what Zacchaeus does at this banquet. Jump a couple slides ahead. Let's put it on the screen. Look at what he says. He stood up and said, look, Lord... Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I promise you this. He cheated people out of a lot of things. But what God did in his life made such a difference that he was moved to levels like this. Here at Fellowship of Faith, and in the Christian church at large, we talk a lot about this thing called repentance. Now, repentance often gets translated in a lot of people's minds to this. Feeling sorry for what I have done. Now, you don't need to show your hands on this, but have you ever felt sorry for something wrong that you've done? I think in many ways, many of our lives are defined by the feeling of regret that we carry over certain things that we have done. I'm here to tell you that that feeling is a gift. It is a gift, and it's a gift that can be abused, to be sure, and it has been by many people. But it's a way of God confronting our conscience to make us aware of a life that is going in a different direction than his. And I could just imagine Zacchaeus at this dinner, sitting here with Jesus, fully aware of his past, knowing who he is, and fully aware that Jesus knows who he is too. And feeling his conscience just... <clears throat> over it. For so many people, repentance seems to end there. Now, the focal point about it is feeling bad, but the biblical picture of repentance is broader in scope than this. It's also doing something about it. This man was seized by God and it didn't stop for him at just feeling bad about it. He goes, how do I make this right? How do I try to undo the hurt that I've brought to others in my life? Sometimes it is impossible. Sometimes it just can't be done. Sometimes there are consequences for our actions that we just can't go back in time and undo. But here is this guy going, how do I do what is in my power? to try to right the wrongs that I have done in my life and bless the people that I've taken from. And I love what Jesus says. Throw it on the screen. 
today. Salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a child of Abraham. He, too, is a son of God. And Jesus, the son of man, has come to seek and to save what was lost. There was a man redeemed there that day. And a history of hurt reversed. And now on a restorative trajectory. And that's what God calls us to. A different kind of life. Knowing that like Zacchaeus, we have hurt people, we have done things, we have not followed God's commands. But God comes to us and looks at the eye and says, I want to be with you. And calling us in that place and through his amazing grace and forgiveness that he pours out to a different way, not just by what we say, but by what we do. That's what the redemptive life is all about. I've shared this with many of you before. My wife grew up in a denomination that was, for all intents and purposes, Mennonite. They took repentance seriously. When someone would come to sense the Spirit of God churning in their life, leading them to repentance, leading them to turn to God, to cast their sins on God, to seek God for forgiveness, to seek God in their life. They would come alongside that person. And here's what they would do, I would kid you not. They would say this, we are so glad that God is alive in your life. We are so glad that you are starting to realize that you are saved not because of the goodness that you do, but because of Christ has done for you. We are glad that you are starting to see that the Spirit of God wants to be among you, moving you and churning you and changing you. We are so glad that God has taken hold of you. Now, what does it look like to start living for him? And they would start here. List the people that you have wronged. Now, if I was to ask you today, list the people who you have wronged. Maybe certainly by stealing, but don't restrict it there. List the people who you have wronged. The people that you have wronged throughout your life, could you do that here today? Would you take a moment and make a mental list? Give me a moment while I review mine. There's some that come to mind for me just like that. How about you? Maybe if we were to take 10 minutes together and really kind of take it to a time in prayer, our list would grow. 
And I encourage you to make something like that a part of your prayer life. But now here's the point of the exercise. It's not just to make a list. How do you Zacchaeus that thing? How do you take that list and for those whom you have not made it right so far, how do you go to those people and ask for their forgiveness? How do you go to those people and try to right the wrong? How do you go to those people and try to bring restoration? Because I tell you, that is the biblical picture of repentance. And in the church my wife grew up in, their ministers, their elders would walk alongside of you in that path because let me tell you, it's scary. And let me tell you, it can be tough. But let me tell you, when that happens, God is honored and a different way of life is manifest among the people of God. I remember the story of one of her cousins who was just vicious to his teachers in high school. As I understand it so much that he actually literally mooned them in class. You got to kind of respect that a little bit, don't you? Unless you're a teacher and then you're just unreal, right? He was so stricken by God a decade later in his life and going through this process and realizing how he treated people with absolute disrespect. Going back to a teacher in his 20s saying, will you forgive me? Are you getting the spirit of this? There are those of you here who have not honored your fathers and mothers, those of you who have hurt people physically, those of you who have engaged in relations with people sexually in a way that you should not have, people that you have stolen from, people whose reputation that you have smeared or held lightly. What would it look like to Zacchaeus them? Because I tell you, Jesus has some beautiful things to say to people, no matter who they are or what they have done, that take a step in that different way of living. So I'm going to leave it there. Because it's enough for us to think about. And rather than mask it in a whole bunch of other talk, I simply leave you with this charge. Take that list and repent God's way and see what God works in the process. And if you need help doing it, we're here for you. We can't do it for you. That's God's call on your life. But to help you and guide you and coach you through the challenges and difficulties that this inevitably brings.